You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now here's Doug Robbins. Well, how's the tribe doing today? Doing all right? Good. Good. Well, uh, happy Mother's Day to you. How many moms we got in the room? Just put a hand up real quick. Okay, moms, we love you. We honor you. We thank God for you, for birthing us, for staying up late with us, for changing our dirty diapers, for changing, uh, helping us uh, change our clothes when we were little, when, when, you know, uh, all the many things that you've done to serve us, provide for us, help us. We honor you. We love you. We do many crazy things because we care so much about you. Um, You know, in fact, the gift for my mother this year, I shaved my beard to honor my mother. Mother, uh, if uh, you don't have to clap for that, don't encourage her at all, okay? Mother, I want you to know if you're watching online, uh, I love you. Happy Mother's Day. I shaved my beard for you today um, and for Jeannie, my wife. Um, And just remember that my beard is kind of like the second coming of Christ. It can come back in the twinkling of an eye, right? So... uh, Someday it will return. Uh, So thank God for all the mothers. Now, in recent days, uh, we've been in this series of teachings, uh, and we've called it Emotional Health and the Demonic. I want to stop there for a minute because uh, I know some of you are new to church or spiritual investigators. You have, what kind of place have I just walked into? Emotional health and the demonic. What is it? Believe in chupacabras and, you know, the donkey lady on the south side. What is it? <laughs> you know, I've met a few ladies that act like donkeys, but I, you know, but they say, you know, and by the way, if you're new to, to San Antonio, you just moved here, just Google search, you know, donkey lady south side, uh, and you'll learn the legend that it is the donkey lady. Uh, but anyways, we're not saying a couple of things in this series that, um, You know, when we talk about emotional health and the demonic, we're not saying that everybody who gets depression or anxiety is demon-possessed. We're not saying that if your uh, doctor prescribes you meds to just throw them out and pray more. Uh, Certainly mental health is more nuanced than that. But what we are acknowledging is there is a connection between our mental well-being and the demonic. They are trying to keep us from feeling whole, well, uh, and healthy. So what we've acknowledged each week is that by far the majority of the spiritual warfare that we experience and encounter is in our thinking, in our minds. And that's why we've decided to explore our thinking. We've said thinking about your thinking is not what? Overthinking, is it? Yeah, thinking about your thinking is not overthinking. It's important to think about your thinking. And your thinking determines much of your mental well-being. Now, uh, anyone ready for some truthful, encouraging thought therapy today? Every week we've been making these declarations based on truth, not just based on any old thing or our opinions, but based on the truth of the Scriptures. And so let's look at these together and say them out loud together. Ready? Say this. I'm a friend of Jesus. I'm the salt of the earth. I'm a light of this world. I'm God's masterpieces. I'm an adopted child of God. And then let's say uh, Jesus is awesome together. You ready? Here we go. Jesus is awesome. Okay, that is a great truth uh, all throughout the scriptures there. And so these thoughts help us with the truth about us and the type of thinking that we're going to dissect and fix today are thoughts of rejection. If you're uh, rejected someone else, but also felt rejected by someone else, and you know uh, the, the most significant 
rejection thoughts are self-rejection kind of thoughts that we're going to have to explore and take care of. And um, what we've said is that the cure for rejection is your salvation identification. Um, I'm going to say that when I get to the word salvation identification, I'll point to you and you say those words out loud. Ready? The cure for rejection is your that would be great if we were a Presbyterian church, but th- we're not. So let's try it again with a little more passion. Forty mothers, okay? I'm ready. Here we go. The cure for rejection is your Thank you. I feel so much better about that one. So you hear us talk a lot about our identity in Christ at City Church. You've heard us talk, you know, teach a whole series on it, individual services on your identity and who you are in Christ. And what I want you to understand about your identity in Christ is that it's not just like these little platitudes. It's not just, you know, positive thinking about yourself. Um, It's nuanced and it's complex. And that's why we have to look at all the many different facets of our identity uh, in Christ. And one of the reasons why we have to talk about it so much is because we're getting bombarded so much by demonic spirits who are trying to convince us that we are inadequate. In fact, um, it's reflected in music in our culture, uh, this self-hatred, this self-rejection. You remember? Anybody remember the old Nirvana song, I hate myself and want to die? Um, that's a real pick-me-up. So uh, if, you're, if, you're, uh, um, if you're feeling too good, just listen to a little Nirvana from back in the day, I hate myself, want to die. Um, anybody remember uh, Kelly Clarkson's song, uh, I hate myself for losing you, right? <laughs> all the ladies are like, yep, that's what all my old boyfriends are singing right now. But... Um, <laughs> Uh, then there's the last one, Leon Womack, you know, I may hate myself in the morning, but she says, I'm going to love you tonight. Okay. This is just more proof of my hypothesis that all of country music is of the devil. Okay. But uh, anyways, I want to show you today a few indicators of self-rejection. And the reason I know about these indicators is because when I've struggled with self-rejection in my own life, you know, I've exhibited some of these characteristics and I've observed it in a number of other people. But uh, self-pity, if you've ever met someone who's got a lot of self-pity and it feels like, you know, they're just always uh, feeling sorry for that they're a victim to what someone else did to them or something that happened to them, and they play the victim for a long time. And that's why we have mothers in our lives to say, quit having a pity what? Party, don't we? Um, then the other one is self-humiliation or, you know, self-deprecating humor all the time is kind of a false humility. Uh, now, it's certainly okay to feel comfortable with ourselves enough to make fun of ourselves and not take ourselves too seriously. But if you're known someone that's just all the time and, and they try and give this air of humility, but it's like a false humility. And then there's self-focused center of attention kind of people who are always focused on themselves to the exclusion of other people. And this is the person where no matter what the conversation is at the table uh, today, they're going to somehow maneuver the conversation to be about them and about their life. I had a friend in the hospital for a heart condition. He was in his 30s and I was concerned. I went to visit him at the hospital and his wife struggled with self-rejection. And so she somehow maneuvered that conversation to not be about her husband who had a heart condition in the hospital, but somehow to be about her and how the whole scenario affected her and her life and her day. And I just want to say, shut up, please, woman. Uh, I'm here to see your husband. I want to pray with him and talk to him. But then there's the uh, competition and comparing. Uh, It's a slippery slope to compare ourselves to other people, isn't it? And here's why. Because you'll always find someone 
that you can compare yourself to who's better than you at what you do. Now, we don't care about comparing ourselves to people who do something different than what we do. Uh, We don't care about what they do, but we care about what we do, don't we? And so if you're good at sports, you'll always find someone who's better at sports. Ladies, if you're pretty, you'll find someone who is prettier, believe it or not, okay? Um, If you're good at accounting, um, you'll always find someone else who's equally as boring, okay? You you know, it it works with pastors too, doesn't it? You know, pastors are always uh, comparing themselves, and you know, I could sit here and compare myself to, you know, Stephen Furtick and Uh, you know, Andy Stanley. And when I compare myself to other people, it's only going to make me see uh, how bad I am at what I do. So, um, you know, uh, uh, what we don't have to, we don't have to do is we we don't have to look at other people and see how good they are, but we say how good God is through them. We can celebrate that and learn from them. But if we are always comparing ourselves, it makes us feel worse about ourselves. Then there's uh, the people that talk too much or talk too little, and people talk too much because they're trying to verbally convince you that they're okay. And other people talk too little. They're afraid to say anything. Because if I say something that sounds stupid, then I'll be rejected by other people. See how that works? Then there's the religious legalism manifestation of self-rejection. And what a lot of people do, I've noticed this in churches, is that people will get very uh, legalistic religiously so that what they're trying to do is because of something that's happened in their past, they're trying to follow a bunch of rules to convince themselves that they're okay. And the more stringent and tight the rules are, the more okay they feel if they can follow them. Anybody remember that movie, Footloose, you know, where it's like wrong to dance? And I've met these people like this, you know, it's like, you know, you don't drink and smoke and cuss and chew and hang around with girls who do, you know. It's just like this uh, no dancing, no drinking, you know. Uh, I know people that won't even play cards, you know, unless it's like Uno because you can't gamble with Uno. What do you mean you can't? You can gamble with anything. But uh, look... Now, we don't have to create a bunch of religious rules to convince ourselves we're okay when we've received the grace of God um, in our lives. Uh, And then there's body abuse, where uh, folks will abuse their own bodies, sometimes overeating, sometimes undereating and getting anorexia or bulimia because they've rejected their body. There's whole industries based upon us being insecure about how we look, right? Um, Other people abuse their physical bodies through unhealthy sexual practices. Um, We've dealt with people who are cutters, you know, who cut themselves because of self-rejection. And then ultimately, some people will even attempt suicide to take their own lives and abuse their own body in that way um, because they've rejected who they are, see? And in American culture, we're taught from an early age to love ourselves, aren't we? Um, In fact, we're to love ourselves so much that the most popular form of picture is the what? Selfie. And you know the rules for the selfie, right? You have to hold the phone up here so your chin doesn't look fat when you take it down, you know, and then, but it still gets your dad bod in there, so you get to include that awesome part of the picture. Um, But uh, we're taught to love ourselves in, as, as soon as we grow up and we go through our school system and everything. Um, but what I'm going to teach you today 
is not really pop psychology, but it's rather eternal biblical theology in how we should view ourselves. And remember, we've said that the cure for rejection is your salvation identification. And so let's take a look at how God views us. Look at Matthew chapter 22, verse 36, and we're going to see these people asking Jesus, um, what's the greatest command? Because that'll tell them Jesus' theological slant. Look at Matthew twenty-two thirty-six. 36. They come to him and say, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as who? Yourself. And, you know, of course, the way it's always taught and is true is that you can't love your neighbor unless you appropriately love yourself. But here's the thing that we've acknowledged during this series is that demonic spirits and the devil doesn't just tell a bold-faced lie. What they do is they tell you half a truth, and they'll tell you truth, but what, where the lie is is the part of the truth that they leave out in telling half of a lie or part of a lie, see? And to love yourself is a lie if you don't include the other part of the truth. And the other part of the truth that's most significant is where Jesus says here, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Loving yourself is incomplete without first loving God. And a lot of people come to church to get something from God. We're going through a problem or we need provision or we, we come to church and we're just asking for stuff. But the thing about uh, uh, going to God and approaching him that way um, is it's not always work. God is not going to be like our genie in a bottle who pops out whenever we need something, you know. But really, to love God is more about coming to God to get more of God. And when you get more of God, you find all of what you need, even to deal with your own self-rejection. You know the reason that you like your friends? Think about your friends for just a minute. Why do you like your friends? You like them for who they are, right? To spend time with them. You don't go to coffee or dinner with one of your friends and sit down at the table and start asking for stuff, do you? If you start doing that, those are the people that are on your not gonna be your friends list, right? Okay, because we've all had those people and they sit down to dinner, they sit down to coffee with you and uh, they all of a sudden start asking you for things, asking for money. They've always got some, some need that they're bringing to you. Okay, it doesn't mean that we don't help out our friends, uh, but the reason that we like our friends is because their personalities and because their sense of humor and we enjoy being around them and because they're a loyal and faithful friend and all of that. And look, when we come to get to know God, we get to know his brilliance, his holiness, his love. And instead of using him, we want to, because he's so grand, we want to submit our lives to him, to love him, to worship him, to lean into him. Uh, we get over self-rejection when we lean into the greatness, grandeur, and glory of God. And because he's so perfect and brilliant, we've got to embrace the truth of how he views us, don't we? And if you go back to the early parts of the the. A human story in Genesis when God created the humans. You, if you think about Adam in the creation story in Genesis, he woke up one day. Can you imagine like the first conscious thought of a human when he wakes up for the first time? 
And Adam's like, I'm alive, you know? And he sees God in all his glory. And he's like, amazing. And then God puts Adam to sleep. And he wakes up again. And he sees Eve like a perfect naked woman right in front of him. Imagine he's thinking, God put me to sleep again. I want to see what's going to happen next, you know? First he sees God, then he sees Eve, the perfect naked woman. But the, the Hebrew creation story is like a poem. It's Hebrew poetry with a rhythm and a cadence to it. And so if you, if you look at it, it's like uh, the, the poem says, and God created light and darkness, and it was good. He created sky and water, and it was good. He created plants and trees. It was good. Fish and animals. It was good. And now look at what it says after God created the humans in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. It says, God saw all that he made, and it was what? Very Good. Turn to someone next to you and tell them you're very good. <laughs> All the moms said, don't you forget it, honey. Okay. <laughs> right. Very good. Now, fast forward to David in Psalm 139, 14. Uh, he says, check it out. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Whew. Uh, your workmanship is marvelous and how well I know it. So turn to someone next to you and tell them you look marvelous. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good. Men, you're scoring points today. Going good, going good for you. But um, in the, if you keep going through the scripture, you would see that Isaiah and the Jewish people, people felt like they were rejected by God. You ever feel that? You feel like that God, maybe you've sinned too much or you feel like the circumstances of your life are some kind of indicator of God's rejection in your life. Well, look at Isaiah chapter 49, verse 14. It says, this, this is how they felt. They're just laying it out to God. The Lord has deserted us. The Lord has forgotten us. And then we see God's true heart. Look at the next word there, never. And you mothers can relate to this part. Can a mother forget her nursing child? Oh, the mom said, nope. Can she feel no love for a child she is born? But even if that were possible, God says, I would not forget you. And he says, see, I have written your name on my hand. And so it's like God has a tattoo. And if you feel like that you've gone too far from him, God reaches out to you, and as he reaches to grab you, you see your name tattooed on his hand. Some of you feel like you've gone too far. But you've not. He remembers your name because he's written it on his hand. And there, um, there's this guy named Louis Giglio that I really like. And years ago, he described the way to uh, think about God in this sense. He said, accept the fact that God is the star of the movie. And so if your life is like a movie, then God should be the star of the movie, and you're not the star of the movie. Uh, now, when I think about this, it, it reminds me of one of my longtime fantasies. Okay, anybody like the Avengers? Anybody? Just a raise of hands, okay? Okay, if you didn't raise your hand, don't like the Avengers, um, I'm going to pray for you. I'm pray, pray for you and everything. But here's, here's kind of my dream. Is that I think about the Avengers producer, Kevin Feige, you know, and I just imagine that he's in town for a, some type of conference at the convention center. And we're, I'm just walking around downtown, and uh, we happen to cross paths. And he goes, oh, you know, you're Pastor Doug. And I'm like, you know who I am, okay? <laughs> and he's like, uh, well, Pastor Doug, you know, here, here goes the fantasy. I've been watching your sermons online. 
and I think you're going to be perfect for our new Avengers movie. And, and I'm thinking to myself, yes, I know. I know that they want to get rid of Robert Downey Jr. And they want me to be Iron Man, right? They, I'm, I'm going to be, I, I am Iron Man. Okay, this is, this is me, okay? So, but then... You don't think this is possible. <laughs> but then the conversation takes a turn that's a little bit more realistic. And this producer says to me, you know, you're not going to be Iron Man. You're not going to be Captain America. You're not even going to be Ant-Man, okay? <laughs> you're going to have a supporting role in the film. You're going to be like an analyst guy at Avengers headquarters. And you're going to be in a couple of scenes, and it'll be a good role. Well, I have a decision to make. You know, I could get mad, I could get upset, and I could say, well, if you won't let me be Iron Man, then I'm just going to get Robbie and Humby and Jake and some other. We're going to get on our iPhones. We're going to make our own Avengers movie, and I'm going to be Iron Man. It'll be an independent film, you know, and we'll see, we'll see who wins at the box office. Well, that'd be pretty dumb, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be better for me? If I would just join the bigger story that's already in progress, and here's the question for you and I in our spiritual lives, is that when we come before God, can we be the supporting actresses and actors in his story, or do we feel like we have to be the star of the historic movie? So we have a choice to make here. In God's movie, you gotta understand, if you choose to be your own star, it may not go so well, but God's movie is big. You know, the Avengers broke records on sales for, for this most recent movie, but God's movie dwarfs all the movies in our world combined. Do you know that if God were to make a movie about himself, there would be no beginning scene because he's been around forever in all of eternity past. He was never born. Uh, he never started. He's just always been. And if you look at the end of the movie, there's no the end scene where the, the words the end of the film comes up because God's story goes forever and ever and ever into eternity future. It kind of gives me a headache to think about it. The universe, our universe is pretty big, but our universe is a speck of dust compared to, you know, just our galaxy is a speck of dust compared to the rest of the universe combined. And God, the Bible says, holds the universe together with the word of his mouth. So is this the kind of person that you and I want to ask to be the supporting actor in our movie? Is, is that what we really think? That, uh, that he should be a supporting role? And look, Adam and Eve, um, they were given a really great role to manage the creation. And we see spiritual warfare come into play in the early parts of Genesis when the serpent came to deceive them with the lie that you don't have to be the supporting actors and actresses in the movie, that you need to be the stars. See, you can be gods. And this was the lie that Satan uh, was bringing because that's the lie that he had believed. Look at his origin story in Isaiah 14, 13. It says, there's Satan. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. And look at that last part. I will make myself like the most high. See? 
And here's what uh, some of you may think. You may be thinking, well, Pastor Doug, I thought we were talking about self-rejection today. But that sounds a whole lot like pride. And that is a very good observation. Because what you'll find is that oftentimes self-rejection is an outer layer symptom of a deeper layer of pride in our lives. People feel self-rejection because they're so prideful and they're angry that people are not getting on board with the truth they believe in their mind that everything is about them. And look, when you embrace your role, it doesn't mean that you're settling for less. You know what I'm saying? We've seen people that have this great potential for God and they settle. I'm not talking about that. When you embrace your role, it actually frees you up to live your best life possible to the glory of God. Did you catch that? When you embrace your significant role, even though you're not the star of the movie, but when you embrace your role as a supporting actress or actor, you are freeing yourself up to experience your best life possible to bring glory to God. And one of the things that you've got to understand is, is that some, some people, I know what people think. People think, man, my movie's going great. And people would say, well, my personal brand is really good. Um, I have a good reputation. I have a great social media presence, people think. And, I, you know, I look really good. I put that image out there, and I'm making good money, and things are going great with my family and my relationships and all this kind of stuff. So why would I want to let God be the star of my movie? Because my movie is going really good right now. And people like that sometimes think, well, I don't need to go to church because I don't need God for anything because I'm doing very, very good in my life. But I want you to consider something. As good as your life may be going, your story is a short story. My story is a short story. We will die and we will be forgotten. How's that for some encouragement today, all right? You're all going to die and you're going to be forgotten. Let me illustrate it like this. How many of you could, without looking at your phone, raise your hand right now and in front of this whole crowd of people, tell us who the 10th president of the United States is? Anybody? Okay, probably no one. There may be someone, maybe two that are history buffs or something like that. Um, but most of us do not remember the 10th president of the United States, John Tyler. You know, he looks like that evil guy on the starship on Star Trek, you know. Um, but really, um, it's just we don't remember him. And he was the president of the United States of America. And you and I don't even remember his name. So what makes us think? that people are going to remember who we were or what we were about 100 years after we died, see? But God's story will continue on, see? Another thing you got to embrace is that you're in God's movie whether you want to be or not. What you get a choice about is will you be a good character or a bad character in the story of God? No story illustrates this more than the Pharaoh who thought he was a god. And when Moses came to him, Moses, who had submitted his life to God to be a, a supporting actor in the story of God, came to Pharaoh and said, God says, let my people go. And Pharaoh would not let them go because he thought that the whole story was about him. And look at what the Bible tells us in Exodus 14, 17. Yet God says, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians. See, they had hardened their hearts towards God. And now he says, I'll harden their hearts and they will follow the Israelites into the sea. And God says, then 
I will receive great glory at the expense of Pharaoh and his armies, his chariots and charioteers. And when I'm finished with Pharaoh and his army, all Egypt will know I am the Lord. And you know, the only reason that you and I even know who this Pharaoh is because he's a part of the story of God. You see what what I'm getting at here? And like Pharaoh, here's what people do. People will create a concept or philosophy of God that they want. Because we're Americans and we get our choice, right? We can order stuff on the internet, customize however we want it. We can customize our clothes. We can customize our food and our meals. You can even go to pizza places. It's a magical thing, by the way. Build your own pizza. Have you seen these places? Okay. Restaurants in different cities around our country. And you can make your own pizza with the exact ingredients you want because we like customization, don't we? And what people do is they say, hey, I'm going to customize my God like I customize my pizza. And I'm just going to add the elements and attributes that I like in a God. Never mind the holy scriptures that have endured the test of time and outlived all the pallbearers. Um, But what we create is not the real God. What we create is a figment of our imagination and an idol that we want God to be. We create a concept, but it's not God. But here's what you'll find. Is that the people that have actually met God can remember a time when God went from being a concept to a relational reality. Did you catch that? Everyone who really knows God went through a transition where God went from being a philosophy of life, a religion, a concept, to a relational reality in their heart and life. Doesn't mean you remember the exact moment, day, or time, but you remember there was a time where you're spiritually born. And here's why I bring that up. Because I can't do ministry prayers with you to help you overcome self-rejection and embrace your identity, your salvation identification if you've never received salvation. And look, I don't care how good you are. I don't care how religious you are. The Bible is very clear that it's about receiving a relationship with God. And so I wanna pray with you first, if you'd like to, if if you've never received a relationship with God, this can be the time of your spiritual birth. Man, some of you for years have been bearing the weight of divinity. It's like, man, being God of my own story is really hard and everything doesn't always go so well. Maybe today's the day where you Our first prayer is, I'm gonna begin a love relationship with God through Jesus Christ, and I'm gonna receive the real God who will carry my burdens for me and forgive my sins. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes before the Lord. And if you would like to begin a relationship with God and you'd like God to go from a concept to a relational reality in your heart and life, just say something like this in your own heart, just between you and God. Say, look, God, I know I've sinned and made mistakes, but right now, the best I know how, I choose to believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross and on that cross, he paid the penalty for my sin. And then he rose again from the dead to give me new life. Welcome into my life, God. And I choose to receive your forgiveness. And as you just prayed that, some of you are thinking, 
you know, I've believed, but I'm not really forgiven. Well, I need to challenge that thought. It's not true. It doesn't come from God. If you've prayed and begun a relationship with God and received the cross, you are completely forgiven. Do you really think that the God who can control the whole universe with the word of his mouth can't forgive your, your sin? So some of you need to pray right now in your own, your own heart and mind. God, I receive your forgiveness. Now, as we continue in prayer, now we can deal with self-rejection. And so as we pray, as you talk to God, if you've ever felt those thoughts of rejection, like, God, I'm not good enough, or uh, God, I hate who I am, I want you to pray something like this. Dear Heavenly Father, I confess and renounce and repent of the sin of self-rejection. I believe who I am in Christ. And God, I ask to be released from guilt or shame attached to my self-rejection. In Jesus' name and by his blood, I cancel Satan's authority over me from self-rejection. And in Jesus' name, I command self-rejection to leave me now with all its works and effects. Holy Spirit, I invite you to fill me and heal me from the deepest roots of self-rejection. So Holy, Holy Spirit, speak a word, a picture, or a thought to me now. So just be still and listen for a word or a picture or a thought that comes from the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit for those words that you're bringing and as we're talking to you Holy Spirit my sense is that today Mother's Day is a great day for so many but for others it's a very painful day and it was the most excruciating th thing that some, some among us could do today to come here today when they knew that we'd be talking about mothers and it's a painful day because they either lost their mother or they want a child and weren't able to have that child or they've lost a child and so Holy Spirit I ask in particular and those of us that are praying believers we're praying now for those dear women among us that for whatever reason the enemy is trying to use those circumstances of their lives to make them think that they're less than or to make them feel bad about who they are and we say we do not receive that but their identification in Christ is absolutely loved and complete in their role in Christ so we thank you for the love and the ministry that you're bringing their way now Holy Spirit and we pray all these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit everyone said Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.